Good morning. Welcome to New Song Church. We're so excited that you're here this morning. Things are going to be just a little bit different in in, uh, in flow this morning, but we're excited that you're here. So you can remain seated at this time. Uh, I'm going to share a few announcements with you, then we're going to pray uh, as we get started this morning. Just want to remind you that no, no First Sunday Fellowship following the service uh, today. Uh, also, volunteers continually uh, can sign up for food for our workers on our church project, and you can sign up on the back table in the back. Also, ladies, don't forget Tuesday coming up, uh, November the 7th at 6.30 p.m. That's this Tuesday night uh, for ladies' Bible study here at the church. So you want to make sure you, you uh, don't miss that. Also, today uh, we're celebrating Pastor Appreciation Day here today, and uh, we will be taking up uh, – uh, an offering for our pastors uh, along with our regular tithes and offerings at the end of this service today. So please make sure that uh, whatever God lays on your heart to do in that, in that realm, that you can be prepared for that at the end of this service today. Let us lift our hearts, lift our hands to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we magnify you, we glorify you, we thank you for who you are. We are thankful that you love us. We are thankful that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. And we're thankful that the Holy Spirit can guide us and give us boldness today in this place. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven uh, today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Oh, I heard that, Danny. The heckler is back. Hey, you know, on a day when it messes with people to set their clocks back, why not mess with church service too and uh, and uh, just switch things up? You know, you, you, you got to get this feeling. We, we can't have the word first. You got to have worship. I mean, it's not church if you don't have worship and the word. And then, you know, the offering has to be a certain point. And so we're going to mess with you greatly. No, there's actually been a change up in my, uh, in my plans for the message. And um, so with that, we change the service. But... Uh, in all seriousness, I want to get into, but before I get into the message, I want to give some pre-qualifiers here. There, there is per, parts of this message that uh, God is messing with me too because on Pastor Appreciation Day, this is not the message I would choose, okay, to preach. This would not be the message. And that's not because of selfish reasons on the way you'd think. It's because there's parts of this that could sound self-benefiting, and, and I don't mean them to be at all. And I hope you'll hear my heart and hear what the Word says and really follow that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably stomp on some toes. I shouldn't probably tell you that at the beginning, too, uh, but I'll probably stomp on some toes, uh, including my own, because I believe God has really given me in this message a warning for us that I think every church needs. So, so keep in mind that this message was not designed or tailored for any one person in mind here, nor necessarily just for New Song, but, but for any time that we see things such as we're seeing as our kids without any reference of seeing adults first come to the altars and yet us as adults sometimes standing our ground. Or, or, or because of certain uh, ideas we have about worship or that, that church is a certain way. And, and I've talked about this some, but I believe God's given me a message that, that more adequately addresses, addresses this, um, this environment that we may find ourselves in in the church I want you to turn in your uh, Bibles to the book of Malachi. To the book of Malachi. And I want to, in the beginning of this uh, message, I want to read to you, uh, read to you the book of Malachi. This is also going to mess with anybody that comes in kind of late in worship normally. So y'all can just kind of grin when they come in because they'll be like, oh, did I, 
They'll, they'll be like, did we set our clocks the wrong way? <laughs> It'd be just our little joke, you know. Just, just look at your watch and look at No, don't do that. <laughs> Malachi, uh, the first chapter. It starts out, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. The Lord's love for Israel is what our, our new modern translations would title this next part. This is God speaking. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. This reminds me, I'm going to stop right there for a moment. This reminds me uh, of, if you've ever heard of Jonathan Kahn, uh, he is a, a, a Messianic Jewish rabbi who, <clears throat> who has written some books, and he drew out that when the Twin Towers on 9-11 were destroyed, and then they begin to make plans for rebuilding a monument there, that one of the reference, biblical references that was used literally in Congress and was used by the president was even written on one of the beams was they thought they were saying something good from Scripture, but really what they were talking about is God's condemnation uh, for a people. They said in the Scripture where it talks about they will cut down our sycamores and we will replant cedars, talking about a stronger tree that we will rebuild when God is torn down. And what God says is you may tear down or you may build something up that I've torn down, I'll just tear it down again. You see, there, there, there cannot be defiance to an almighty God because in the end, he will be the almighty God and we will be subject to his power and might. Verse 5, Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. Verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? When you ask God, when God tells you something you're doing incorrect, and you ask him how you're doing it, you're asking for it because he'll give it straight to you. Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show your, you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such, gift, uh, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. From, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, but you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its, and its fruit, that its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. 
You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and you, you bring it as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Curse be the cheat who has, has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. From this one of the minor prophets, Malachi, we, we, we get this um, uh, strong language, and often it's hard. Some of these, this is not one of the popular books of the Bible for Christians to read because this prophetic language can be hard to understand. And, and really what makes it hard to understand often is when it's a, a negative message to the people. We, we don't often want to hear what's negative. Uh, if it's positive, if somebody's telling you, Ken, you're just a great guy, you're awesome, you're doing everything right, I'm sure you're hanging on every word. But someone goes to say, Ken, you're messing up, you know, this and that and this and that, and a bunch of negativity, we tend to tune it out. And so by nature, our sinful nature, we, we won't want to hear a, a book such as this. There's a story of a, a pastor who has a, a guy and his wife who are highly engaged in the church. If there's anything that ever needs to be done, they're the ones doing it. It's like he didn't even ask. They're working all the time for the Lord. But in the end, the guy comes to him and says, Pastor, I feel like I'm drying up here. I feel like I'm desolate in my spirit, and I don't know what's going on. And, and, and he goes on to say, I just feel like I'm going through the motions, doing church work, helping people, and even attending worship, to do to, to, and it just doesn't energize me anymore. I'm too tired of doing stuff, and I'm living a lifeless religion. And you see, this is where many churches, many people can find themselves in a spot where you may be doing for the Lord, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. We, we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount that, that Jesus was dealing with this very thing that we talk about often. It's more about the reason you do things than the things that you do. In other words, the Pharisees, they can say they're serving God. It's like the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, he could persecute the Christians thinking he's doing it in God's name, but without true relationship and the right motives, actually working against God. And many times in churches, we'll do and do and do, but, but not out of relationship with him, not out of worship to him, not doing it as unto the Lord, and it loses its flavor. It loses its zeal. You start wondering, why am I doing this? And, and so many of us will find ourselves there. And, and my fear is that, that when we look through Malachi, that many times this book could be written to the modern-day church as a whole and probably fit the bill for a lot. The Jews living in Jerusalem were just going through the motions in their worship when Malachi arrived on the scene. Now Malachi, the man, is shrouded in mystery. Not a lot to be known about him except his name, which means my messenger. So when he spoke, he was speaking on behalf of God. And Malachi may be described as a vigorous, clear-cut personality. He's not the guy that you necessarily want to invite out to the buffet after church, right back row Baptist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they were talking about being back row Baptist today. He may not be the guy that you're asking to go to lunch afterwards, but he's a guy that if you truly have a heart for the Lord, you want him in your church because he's always constantly stirred for what's right and true. The only thing is many times he's saying things that don't feel good. And so Malachi is a guy that doesn't pull punches. He, he says what's on his heart. But here's the thing. He despised carelessness in worship. It offended him. 
Malachi was a guy who, if, if he was all or nothing guy, and, and if anything I could say that there's times in my life where I feel this, that I'm like, church, if we don't really do this the way God wants us to do it, let's all just pack up and go home. That's how I feel about it sometimes, because why do things halfway? God's not doing halfway things with me. Why would I do halfway things for, with him? And so Malachi wanted to restore the genuine worship of God based on true relationship with him. Malachi was a fearless reformer who spoke without hesitation or embarrassment. This is a guy when, when your family, when things are going amuck in the families in the church and there's division or there's brokenheartedness going on, he's a guy that's pointing everybody to the reason, saying it's worship. It comes down to are you worshiping? Are you worshiping God with all you have? Is as God's final spokesman prior to John the Baptist, Malachi arrived to challenge God's people. And so the whole book of Malachi, it's this seven-cycle argument. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos that are about um, apologists, Christian apologists. And so the Christian apologist is someone who, who is answering the difficult questions. The difficult questions like, you know, with the, the, the generations are asking now, like, like, is God still alive? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? And it's different from the prophetic books that focus on discourses. The book of Malachi takes uh, the form of a dialogue or argument in which God speaks and the people answer back. Hey, ladies. God tells the people how he expects them to live, and the people respond with a cynical question. And, the, and God expands on his origin and concern. And, and this, is, this is why this is important, because Malachi is not there to talk to the unbelievers. Malachi is not there to talk to the unbelievers. He's there to talk to the church. He's there to tell them, hey, there's a problem amongst you. And, and, and if you don't see it, then God's wrath is coming. Malachi begins, though, and here's the interesting thing about a, a hard-nosed prophet who says the hard things. He starts by telling them, God loves you. You know, the only time, Danny, that we ever got any compliments on our church sign about anything we put out there, and I haven't updated it ever, I just finally put our website there. It's easier to change a keyboard than to get a ladder and go out there. But one of the things that people compliment us when we had on one side, it says, has anyone told you that God loves you? And the other one says, I know, I still love you, Jesus. Because many times when God is delivering his message, we forget the very baseline of everything he says to us. The very baseline is love. It's the greatest of all things, love, and God loves us. So when he delivers a hard message, it's one of love at the very baseline. It's just sometimes our ears are tuned to when we hear something negative, we think there's no love in it. How many parents have ever had to deliver that hard message when you know the baseline is love? You know it's not going to necessarily be received that way. Malachi begins telling them that God loves them with a tender, affectionate, unconditional love. In return, our only reasonable response to this when we are told that God loves us is to worship him with devotion and sacrifice. Anything less would be disingenuous. And unfortunately, their worship, the, the Israelites, had become insincere going through the motions. And God spoke through Malachi to these apathetic and complacent people calling them back to serious worship in chapter 1. And God told them and tells us 
what he wants in worship. And this morning, I want to give you from the, this first chapter of Malachi what God is expecting in worship. And, and listen, here in this New Testament church that we're in, in this, this um, modern day society, which we know is all going crazy, right? We can't forget who God really is, his character and nature. You know, we may have flavors of denominations, and I'm thankful for denominations. I used to be kind of against that as an AG kid, wanting to sprout my wings and, and be cool. I was like, you know, want to go to a non-denominational church. That's where the freedom of the Spirit is. Until I became a pastor and had to deal with the fallout of non-denominational churches where the pastors went wacko, you know, and they had no oversight over them to put rain them in. So I'm thankful for the accountability over me. But I'm thankful for that. But one of the th problems I see that's happening in denominations is we have focused on our flavors of worshiping God instead of how God wants to be worshipped. We find places that fit our little um, quirks about whether we want to raise our hands or put our hands down or whether we want to dance and shout or whether we want to do this. And we take our flavors and we project that onto a God who doesn't get who isn't easily projected onto because he is going to be the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if he moved on David to dance, then you have to say, I cannot belong to the church of David. If David was really to dance in his underclothes and say, hey, you haven't seen anything yet, I'm about to get a little crazier than this. Then, then, then who says, I can't go to the church of David who's through blood, his bloodline, Jesus the Messiah came. Now, it is easier for me to preach this message because I am Pentecostal and we are a Pentecostal church and we are a simple God. That, I understand that is easier. But if I was a Baptist pastor and I'm, if I'm a Methodist pastor, if I'm Presbyterian, if I'm Catholic, if I really read God's word, I don't know how I can come to grips with the fact that I could reject the God of David and how he moved on David. I don't know how I can reject that if it's in God's word and there's an experience of somebody to say, oh, well, let me try to search and find where that stopped because I don't necessarily like that. Let me see if I can prove where it stopped. Why would we want to do that? God, give me everything you gave David. And listen, I understand I'm going to go through some of the trials too and I'm going to make mistakes like David, but give me that relationship where you say that I'm a man after his own heart. Why? Why would you want anything else? I mean, tell me, think about it. I want each and every one of you that in your heart at some point has struggled with the fact that people raise their hands or may dance or sway in, in worship. And I'm not trying to say that that's the only way. Just hear me out for a minute. Because in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said not to murder. I say don't even get angry. Jesus always pointed back to the motives of the heart over the action and deed. It's the motives of the heart that produce the actions and deeds. So if you, if you get in line with God's word with the motives of the heart, then the actions and deeds follow. So if I'm telling you that David danced and David shouted and others blew trumpets and others raised hands and they marched around city walls and worshiped God and he defeated their enemies through their worship to him, then why would you want anything less? The only answer is that Satan is lying to you and holding you back from God's best for you. I'm telling you, you're getting robbed blind, and you don't even see it coming because you have so many flavors to choose from, and you've grown up in church just like I have, and we bought into this whole thing that it's okay to pick and choose how you worship God instead of going to Scripture and saying, 
Who is the God and how did they worship him? And that is our baseline. And it's a God who loves you. Nothing melts me more than my daddy putting his arm around me and hugging me. My earthly dad. There's nothing that can melt me anymore. And I'm going to tell you, I love my kids and they melt me. But it's a whole different thing when my dad puts his arm around me and says, I love you, son. God wanted to give us the ways to worship him. And I want from this passage to give you the first, first one, the greatest reverence. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where, where is your fear of me? Says Yahweh of hosts to the priest who despise my name. Malachi 1.6 In the original, original Hebrew, the word honor means literally to be heavy. To be heavy. So when you honor someone, it means you treat them as a heavy weight in your life. Someone of extreme importance. Someone of great significance. Someone who is huge. And young people and adults alike, each one of you have a favorite musician or music group you grew up with. And if you got free tickets to go to them or you paid a great price to go to them, I guarantee you that you get swept in like anybody else to the lighters in the air, the hands in the air, the shouting, the cheering. And how can you go do that before some, some pastime and not do it before the Lord of hosts? Pastor, you're saying we can break out our lighters and worship? Why not? We're moving out of this building soon. <laughs> we can speed it up. Yeah. What I'm saying in all seriousness is, is how can you reason out? I'm, I'm being a Christian apologist today. I've watched enough of it on YouTube. I'm starting to like it. The guys who will just ask the question and answer back the hard questions, I'm asking you the question, how can you reason it out with God's word that you would hold back in any time that you have an opportunity to worship God? And listen, if it's not happening here in the service, I will guarantee you you're not doing it in your private life. I'll guarantee you, if you're not worshiping him with spirit and truth here, with all you got, you're not doing it when you leave here. Oh, but I turn on the Christian radio station all. Yeah, and you'll flip the station as soon as it's something you don't like to hear. But are you listening to the words, and are the words, are you really meditating on them, and are you going to God and worship and saying, yes, I give you glory and honor and praise. When God says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, he's not just saying obey them and respect them, but treat them as if they are truly significant to you. And young people, I'm challenging you, all you teenagers, I'm challenging you. You, you can't even, maybe you can see it. I'm not going to say you can't, but I'm going to tell you, my heart cry is you don't understand what rides on your shoulders. I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but you look around in here, and I want you to count how many people who are between the ages of 13 and 18 in this room. And I can tell you there wasn't very many in the first. And there are some big churches that have a lot of teenagers, but I'm telling you, we're losing generations. And on your shoulders, God wants to build this church. On your relationship with him, does he want to build the church? I sat in pews just like you and listened to sermon after sermon from my dad and took it lightly, not understanding the importance of what was coming ahead of me. The mess you see right now, the, the things that you see in media and schools and the pushing to, to diminish God's word, Pierce Morgan on his show is just launching an all-out assault on any morality that's taught from God's word and trying to push his own form of morality. You're going to get bombarded. And if you don't dig deep 
and find your roots in God's word and study it for yourself. Don't depend on me to teach you everything about God's word. If you don't dig deep, you're going to be faced with needing the strength of God's word in a time when you know what's right. But you're going to be standing on, on the you're going to be standing at the goal line and they're going to be pushing to totally remove Christianity from this planet. And you're going to need to be able to give the answer for why God should be worshipped. It is a heavy load, but listen, the church ignored that for so many years. And you know, in the 80s and 90s, we were really losing teenagers. And the statistics got to where very few of them, when they went to college, ever stepped back in church again. And it's not that the church is their salvation. It's that the church was the last reference for them of the God that exists. And once they got into secular universities and it was taught against, they abandoned it completely, never to go back to God's word. God says here, I'm a father, I'm a master, I expect honor, I expect reverence. Don't treat me with contempt. And this is one thing I'm going to add to that young people especially. I'm speaking to the adults too, but young people, listen. Here's the dynamic that you've got. There is a God who is all-powerful and almighty. He will not be mocked. His ways will happen. He'll do it with you or without you. The problem is, which side will you be on? And those that stand against God are going to fall and be crushed. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about their lives will be crushed. And you can already see it happening. You can see people fighting against people in the streets. Never before in my lifetime or probably others have we seen the, the consistent magnitude of people, literally divisiveness. You comment on Facebook on one thing about anything to do with morality and see what happens to your comments. Watch the firestorm. I'm telling you, we didn't have social media as a kid, but we had newspapers. You, you're, you're watching something unfold that you're, you're going to have to deal with because you are going to get older. That's the thing you can't stop either. When you get older, you've got to have a family of your own. And one day when you feel that heart beating for your children and you want for them the best of God's best, you're going to wonder, I wish I had dug deeper. I wish I got to a place of worshiping God where there is nothing else, nothing else other than him. He was the most important in my life. He's a holy God that I worship. And my kids, I have the abundance of my relationship with him. My kids are following him too. God wants to find a heartfelt attitude of honor and respect towards him, an attitude that recognizes who he is and how gracious he has been. Years ago, there was a preacher, uh, Henry Ward Beecher, was one of the most famous preachers in America. And just like many of the, uh, the TV preachers or the ones that, that uh, will sell out big stadiums and, and nothing wrong with that, but much like them, there's certain people that come with a sincere heart wanting to learn God's word. There's some who come because they started out with that minister. And just like the church Jen and I met, those 10,000 people, we also saw there's a certain amount of people who just follow the crowds or whatever and whatever's cool going on in the churches and whatever has the programs and they follow that. And one Sunday he was going to be gone and he hadn't told anybody but a few of his key staff and they had a special speaker. And the special speaker steps up to speak and with some of the people who were really just there following that preacher because they just liked him, began to realize he went there and they started to get moved. Now in here I could see if anybody moves. In those big auditoriums, not so much. And so, but he did start to sense people were getting up to leave. And with the power of the Holy Spirit speaking wisdom, in a moment, just a split second, God gave him the wisdom. And this is what he says. May I have your attention. All those who came this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher may now withdraw from the church. And all who came to worship God may stay. 
people may come to worship, worship service for many superficial reasons. To hear a certain preacher, to watch their children perform, to visit their friends, to fulfill an obligation, to enhance their business opportunities, to see what everyone else is wearing. I know of, a, of someone in my family that that was the very initial reason they left uh, a church that was stuck stood hard to the word of God and went to one for social reasons for business and I, I, I can guarantee you that there we watched their life begin to unravel and they're no longer here listen I'm going to tell you something that's going to be hard to hear and for some of you may think of instances I'm not thinking of anybody in the room and I can give you my word to the Lord on that there are times as a pastor when you are preaching your heart out as best as God is enabling you and you know there's a game plan and you're trying to walk people down that path and we're moving together and people will go chase whatever is more popular going on over here. And every time Jen and I will comment, it's like, you know, I didn't tailor that message for them, but the next week when they're telling us the problems they're going through, we realize that message spoke directly that they missed to the problems they're now enduring. It's, it's just crazy. If you could see through our eyes sometimes what happens when y'all, when, you, when y'all purpose in your heart that something takes more precedence about where God landed you just because it's entertaining. Now listen, I'm not talking about missing once in a while. I'm not talking about church attendance. It goes back to the motives of the heart. There's times we've missed when we had, we, we took the youth to a, a, a thing over at Word of Life recently. It was a great deal with the Dream Center. And, and the, the church men had a camp out, and we missed Sunday morning there to have our worship out there. And, and so we're not going to go through and pick every item. What I'm telling you is it's in the heart. Am I really solidly planted where God wants me to learn and grow with this body and make sure I'm not missing the game plan and make sure that we're growing together? Or am I just chasing whatever seems to fit my fancy at the time? Now, some of my examples go back to being a pastor's kid and watching it in my dad's churches and watching people who are finicky and would just run and chase after this and this and this. And they didn't rise. How is the church going to be strong? How, when I was at Walmart leading people, and Hanny, we know this, when you lead people, if, if they're missing all the mandatory meetings, what happens to that person? They don't know what's going on. What happens to their job usually? They lose it. At the very least, they're unsuccessful in their position. In my first service, I had Sandy, who used to work for me, and she's battling cancer. Sandy is a go-getter. You put her on something, but she, she's the one who reminds me of our meetings. Hey, CJ, it's 10 minutes before our meeting, and you're still in your office. I mean, she was a go-getter, and and she succeeded. She was very effective, and God has given us all purposes and roles here, and when we make ourselves absent just enough, and then we come back and say, well, there's nothing happening here. Guess why? If God's people are totally just jointed and not pulling together as a team, how do we expect to go anywhere? Some, some folks said to me when we were trying to decide whether to build a building or back before and we were getting full, they said, build it and they'll come. And, I, and that is good-hearted, good-natured, and I get it, but that's not scriptural and it's not God's way. You can't build it and they come. That may work for Walmart because they're selling a product. They may work for uh, the get-and-go because they, they have to sell fuel. People need fuel. But when it comes to God's things, just in the scripture, yeah, you can build it, and if you're not doing it God's way, he can tear right back down. And you can think you're doing it for God and say, well, hey, tornado took it out. We'll just get some insurance money. We'll build right back. But we're ignoring the spiritual principles God's put for worship in the place. We're not worshiping God in spirit and truth. And he'll keep tearing it down. 
oh, God says nothing will come against the church. Yeah, the real church. But when you stop being the real church that God intended to be, you stop worshiping him, he will show his justice. There's only re- one reason that is acceptable to God for coming giver, and that's giving honor and praise to him. Worship is not an attempt to entertain worshipers to stir their emotions. Worship is not an attempt to manipulate worship, worshipers' minds and hearts. Worship is not a, an attempt to indoctrinate persons. Worship is, first of all, a, an attempt to focus our attention on God, to honor him. Secondly, second thing that God expects is the best response. God made his allegations to the priests, the professional worshipers. They should have known better. They were responsible for the people's obedience. And God will always correct me first before he will you. He'll send the correction to me because I'm responsible. And now now the priests reply with a question. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? God answered by presenting defiled food on my altar. Yes, how have we defiled you? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible, when you, when you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When, when you present a lame or sick animal, is that not wrong, God asks? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you and show you favor? Ask the Lord of hosts in Malachi 3, 6, 3, 8. How many just love the IRS? Come on, I could ask that closer to April. Maybe I'll get even less of a response. How many love the IRS? Do you pay your taxes? Why? Somebody give me the real answer. Why do we pay our taxes? Don't want to go to jail. We fear the consequence, right? What happens when we don't meet our obligation to the authority placed over us. But yet with God, because he's a loving Heavenly Father who gives us grace, sometimes we'll withhold our worship, we'll withhold our tithe, we'll withhold what he speaks to our hearts, we'll withhold it, and because nothing immediately happens like a lightning bolt coming down and burning a hole through the roof and hitting us in the service, we feel like he's probably just winked and said, that's okay, I understand. But that's not how God works. The thing is, is things don't always happen immediate, but you begin to work against the principles he set up for you. And see, listen, the thing is, he's not like uh, Smith Wigglesworth used to have hands of a, uh, a sinner in the hands of an angry God and have the picture on the front of the book of, of the devil holding somebody over the flames, you know? It's not that way, but as a father, a good heavenly father, He says, I can't spoil you rotten because that wouldn't be good for you. If I always gave you what you wanted and never expected anything from you, you'd become spoiled rotten. I've got to rear you up. I've got to teach you as a good father. And how does a good father teach you? But expect you to do something. My kids earn commission, not not, uh, allowance, because we want them to understand that you don't just get money handed to you without doing some work. And so God is not a God to be mocked and he's a mighty God and his ways are perfect. He says, all of you are my children. He keeps using the language and Jesus tried it and the disciples still got confused. He's saying, listen, when things start falling apart in your life, I'm not always saying it's because you're not tithing. I'm not saying it's always because of this, but you can pretty quickly look at if you're being disobedient in those smaller things, then God's saying, you're praying for that lost loved one and your words would hold weight if you were obedient to me in the small things I've given you. But how is their ears going to hear the Holy Spirit speaking through you when you're in defiance to the Holy Spirit telling you to tithe or to give or to give of your time or to be faithful and, and, and build in the church uh, under whatever your talents are? So God's saying, I'm trying to help you, my child, but you're just disobedient. And so I'm going to let you, I'm going to have to let you learn the hard way. And Malachi is telling them, saying, 
you're asking God how you've offended him, how you've treated him worse than a father or a priest, how, how you've not given him respect, they're bringing blind goats and lambs with all this stuff, and they've got better stuff, and they, listen, if it's going to cost them too much, and they get money, more money at the butcher, like, eh, God, you got to understand, i got other things going, and, and that's just too costly. And I gave this example in first service, and I, uh, Ken, I, I hate to always pick on you, but it's good. I, I've mentioned this before, I'll never forget the time that Ken and Shelly, at the very beginning of New Beginnings, had gone two years without salary, and he didn't tell me. He took me out for lunch, and he refused to let me pay and I didn't know he only had $7 in his account, two vehicles on empty, and they didn't have food. And it broke my heart to know that he, let, he, he would not let me pay that. And I think his comment was, hey, when God stops blessing me, I'll stop blessing others. And he left there. He comes back later and tells me the reason I found out about that is because he went, and at the church at one time, they'd had a special offering, and there were several thousand dollars waiting for just his family. But first he made the sacrifice. And then God showed up mightily. He worshipped and God came through. God wanted to teach his son, this is the way this new beginnings is going to have to work, brother. My son, it's going to have to work because you're going to have to trust me and you're going to have to, your family's going to have to trust me and Shelly, being the mother like she is, is going to have to worry about the food in the pantry and she's going to go through a little bit of that anguish. But listen, Next thing you know, you're going to be buying a whole other property in, in down south, and the state is going to be all over what you're doing, and you're going to be ministering to kids all over the state of Arkansas, and probably, before you know it, the United States and the world, and God is going to do that. But first, you had to take a guy out that already had the money for lunch just because he told him to. We'll give to the IRS because we fear what may come if we don't but we'll withhold from God in our resources, our time, our giving, whatever it is. We'll withhold with him thinking there's no, nothing that significant he'll do to me. He's too loving for that. He's also a righteous God. He won't be mocked. He does give grace, but when you tread on that grace knowingly, then you have to watch out. God says, I don't want your tainted sacrifices. We no longer offer animal sacrifice because Christ came for, as our sacrifice. And he has borne the penalty of sin. God, however, is quick to tell us that in response to what his son has done for us, the only reasonable response is to give back to God our best. And I'm going to tell you that when I see our littlest ones coming to the altars and crying out before the Lord, and some may not even know what they're doing, they'll come down and they'll look at the next one and see what they're doing. But all they know is someone is leading the way and it seems like God is reaching them. I'm going to follow them. And I don't understand how we as adults can look back and say, well, that's really great for the children, but, you know, I've got this thing. I can't go down there. Well, then what's the next step? I, I can't turn around at my seat. I can't raise my hands. I can't. Again, we begin projecting our flavors on God because we just say, there is something that I will not give him. I don't care what David did. I don't care what the examples are in Scripture. Different day and time, and it doesn't fit my fancy. I'll just find a church that fits my fancy. God says to us, you can do better than that. 
watching my kids wrestle, starting to wrestle, and we went to watch a tournament, the first tournament. Uh, they wanted to just see it happen before they did it, but there's times when they've been practicing, and I see them out there, and there's days when they're going after it, and I see what their potential is, and there's other days they go at it, and they're just kind of like, uh -huh, and they're trying to act like they're working hard, and they're not, and I get them to the side and say, you can do better than that because I know their potential. In fact, when I was in the Navy, they taught me a 60-40 rule that in your mental, it's, it's proven. Mentally, when you get for physical exertion or anytime you're applying yourself, when you feel like you're at 100% that you've given, you've actually only reached 60%. The average person usually has 40% more they can go, physically, mentally, whatever you place it. It's a 40-60 rule. That's why in special forces, you see them accomplish things they do. These guys aren't supermen. Most of them are not built up and bulked up. But they've learned they can push their bodies way past what their mind tells them they can do, and they'll be just fine. In fact, they'll be better for it. And what I believe is the principle of 60-40 is really just where we actually start believing the lies the devil tells us, that we can't go any further. I can't give anymore. I don't have anything left. And God says, I've created you to be more than conquerors. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Run the race with everything you got. And at the end, I say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. God says to us, you can do better than that. I know your potential because I put it in you. You say, better than what? Better than blemished sacrifices. Better than leftovers. The Bible, uh, the Bible presents under, under the second one we, we talked about. I'm going to give you three sad categories under it. Under the, under the best response. And those are give the best. One of the common struggles, charities like Helping Hands or New Beginnings Encounters, is they all have to have a really big dumpster. Did you know that? Every charity that receives donations of people's stuff has to have a big dumpster. Why? Because people want to pretend like they're being charitable, but sometimes they're just off offloading their junk. They're just giving what they didn't need, saying maybe they can use this. We joke about the TV when someone says, I got a big screen TV for your, for your kid's house. And in the beginning, Kim's like, woo yeah. Until he found out it was made in 1960 and the screen may be big. That's because the back of it's about twice as wide as the front. <laughs> and you have to like hold, have one of the kids in, in the house holding their arms up, you know, to get reception. You know, people, people will give, you know, they'll just give their leftovers. And if they'll do it to something worthy like New Beginnings, I know that we do it to God. And can you imagine what God's thinking? is like, really? After what I've given you? Really? You walk in and you're going to stand there like a log floating down the river? I've got the Spirit, my Holy Spirit, flowing through that place like a mighty rushing river, and you're just going to be a stiff log getting carried by the current? He wants you to sprout some roots in that worship. And he wants your branches to come out. And he wants you to give him the glory and honor praise that he's deserving because he's loved you enough to give breath in your lungs and help you be in a place that is supporting your spiritual journey to eternity with him. He wants you to worship him. And second under that, second heading is give to God first. God is never to get leftovers. 
Now I'm gonna I'm gonna give an example. This is where it got uncomfortable on Pastor Appreciation Day, and and I I thought try to think of another example, and I think God kept steering me back. But on the subject of Pastor Appreciation Day, you guys have always blown us away. Last year we got all this food, and I've told you that for me, especially this year, over any, it's always been that way. Making sure you're faithful to your missions pledges and to the building fund and those commitments God's put in your heart is far greater to me than any financial gain. God has got us. But I'm gonna tell you a story that that uh, has been told back in the day when pastors in small, especially country towns, they would have a pastor uh, appreciation and they called it a pounding. Now they didn't really pound them. What they did is they bring a pound of sugar or a pound of flour, a pound of sausage, and they pound them, especially if they're coming in as new pastors and there's a parsonage, they go stock the you know, shelves and all that. And they might have knickknacks for decorating if it's close to holiday. On this one particular occasion, this pastor's wife, they come into a new pastorate and they get in the parsonage and they've done the pounding and uh, their knickknacks are laying out there first that they can see and it's close to a holiday. So she began to set those out and all of a sudden she realized, oh, some of these are broken. Some of these are missing pieces. Well, they went to go look at the canned goods, and most of them were very, very expired years down the road and rusty. And, and they started looking. Everything was either expired or looked like it needed to be thrown away. And, and so can you imagine what their thoughts must be? And I'm sure there were some people who gave their best, like the widows might, and that's, that's the thing. It might have been their very best, and they were thankful for that. But they are probably torn because they knew in this very wealthy, actually, for a rural community, all these farmers who had lots of cattle, they gave the very least, and knowing that was their flock that they had to bring up. I'm thankful for every person in every situation that comes in to experience God. We've had atheists in the congregation who actually said to me, or said to someone they're coming with, I'm just curious about what he has to say. And I'm thankful that they're hearing the word of God. So we all come in with different uh, motives at different levels, and that's, the church isn't just for those who have already arrived. What I'm saying is, as a church body, where we need to head is giving God our best. Can you imagine if God, what God must think when we bring him those kind of, those kind of offerings? While many of the church members donated items that were good quality, others gave what were destined for the garage sale or even the garbage can. They gave leftovers. The third under this, the subheading under here is give what costs you. Giving should be sacrificial. David wanted to offer in a sacrifice to God. He wanted to buy a man's threshing floor to build an altar to the Lord. And the man offered to give him oxen and wood for the fire. And he said, no, I cannot give something that was free to me, to my God. Paraphrasing. He said, I've got to give something costly to the Lord. What does it mean to give less than the best? What does it look like to give God to God last? What does it mean to make gifts that cost us nothing? It's when I spend an hour in an evening reading the USA Today cover to cover. And then in the last five minutes before I fall asleep, I read God's word. That's offering God leftovers. It's when we bring our careers to our best energy. uh, We bring our best energy to our careers, our best talent, our best motivation. But when it comes to serving the body of Christ, we either sit on the sidelines or look for something that requires the least amount of energy. It's when we spend a lot of money on ourselves for a summer vacation, but when it comes to giving God an offering, we look at the budget and say, what's left over here that I can give? It's when we watch a Razorback score a a touchdown and leap off the sofa in jubilation, but in worship we sit passively with our hands on our lap. 
It's when we love our kids so much that we say things like, they're my world, and there's nothing we would, wouldn't give them. But if we're honest, our hearts don't beat that strong for God. If God had to put Abraham in the situation where the long-awaited son Isaac had to be on an altar with knife in hand ready to take him out, you understand how God takes seriously his worship and the altar before him. I make no apologies for the challenge I bring to you to bring your best, both in tithe, worship, offering, whatever it is. Uh, finding a place to just dig in and worship God enthusiastically and use your talents. All often we have this sentimental grandfatherly view of God. We don't look at him as good heavenly father. We talked about grandparents last time, right? Grandparents, first thing they brag on is their grandkids, right? It's not their money or wealth generally. If they got grandkids, it's how many they have, right? How talented they are. But you see, we aren't to look at God as a grandfather. He's got the unfortunate task of being the father. The grandparents just get to kind of send them home when they start being unruly. The father has to make sure the correction happens. And so we'll bring things to God half-heartedly. We'll bring our blemished lambs and our gloves. We'll bring them and just think that God does like the grandfather and just winks and says, well, I understand. You're trying to do your best. You know, God won't be mocked. He understands that he is the one who owns the cattle on Thousand Hills. He's the one that provided everything we have. He has an account of our accounts. He knows everything we own, every resource we have, every talent he's given us, and he knows when we're giving our best or not. Notice what God says about such an attitude. And now ask for God's favor? Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, he will, will he show any of you favor? Asked the Lord of hosts in Malachi 1, 9 through 10. God says, shut the temple doors. It's better not to come to church. It's better not to pretend to be spiritual than to bring me less than your best. The third thing he expects in worship is the highest regard. The highest regard. The quality of one's worship is in direct proportion to one's concept of God. And I'm going to tell you something for those of you on Facebook. This is kind of what stirred some of this message actually is God was just giving me a thought. Um, I was actually feeling convicted about uh, a way I had uh, talked to Jen. And I put out on Facebook. Some of you might have thought I was directing you. It was right at me. I was like, we often treat Jesus just the same as we treat our spouse. If someone is harsh and, and quick to speak angrily to their spouse, it's not that they may be harsh and quickly speak angrily to Jesus, but they're also going to be the one that is very quick to not want to give him worship, to not want to give unto him because they don't have a giving heart towards their spouse. They don't have a soft, tender heart towards their spouse. And I'm going to tell you over and over again, our relationship vertically is directly affected by a relationship horizontally and vice versa. God has made this a very secular thing that first love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, but he's charged us and challenged us to love one another. And either one of those are broken, they're both broken. You cannot have one broken and not the other. You cannot be treating your spouse poorly and then say, glory to God, I am his servant and I love him with all my heart. And the same goes for quality of worship. When we're in worship, how we worship God reflects probably how we are interacting with other people. Oh, all my relationships are good. Oh, really? That's probably your opinion, but maybe you need to check in with the others. God's complaint against the priest was that they despise God. And then God makes his grand statement in verse 11 and 14. For my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. 
incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name and in every place because my name will be great among the nations for I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. And understand this, like I told you young people, God will not be mocked. As this nation turns their back on God and begins to worship other things, God will rise up another nation. And if he can't get anyone to worship him, it says in scripture, then the rocks will cry out. And by then, I believe it would be too late. God's name represents his person, his character, his very nature. His name will be great. Why? He's the great king. He's the Lord Almighty. 23 times in Malachi, God calls himself the Lord Almighty. And often the word Almighty is translated host, meaning a great number of armies. And the Lord Almighty has the hosts of the heavens ready to do his work because he has an infinite authority in the universe. And young people, you may even hear people you know, who, who pride themselves saying, oh yeah, I'm a Satan worshiper, or I'll just worship Satan. And they say, I'd rather, and the saying I've heard them say is, I'd rather reign in hell than be a servant in heaven. But let me tell you something, there'll be no reigning in hell for anyone who goes, who has had the opportunity for salvation. There won't be a place of reigning authority for them. Hell is not a place where you can rise through the ranks. Just as in heaven you can't be an angel and who would want to be because they don't have the opportunity for the same relationship we have with God. They're jealous. And so the same thing in hell, the demons, they don't understand the relationship fully because they can't, because they can't have it. And so it's not that you become demons in hell. You're always either a child of God who is with him and communion with him or one who's been eternally separated in torment. You can't change who your father is. You may change who you serve, but Satan didn't create you, and he never can claim that for himself. Are we just going through the motions we don't rec- so much that we don't recognize God's greatness as we worship? Are we going through the motions when we allow the extraordinary to become ordinary? Are we going through the emotions when, we, when the mystery of worship becomes familiar? When we experience great worship, I ask myself, what moved us? The familiarity of the songs, the number of the people participating, or did the Holy Spirit point us to God who is great? There's a couple more points. I'm going to stop here. We're going to change the pace a little bit. We're going to remember the greatest sacrifice made by the perfect one, Jesus, and taking communion together. And then after that, I want us to worship in song. And I didn't think it fair to you, knowing that God had brought a challenge and brought a correction, that if you are not worshiping God with all you have, that I do this message after we already had the opportunity to worship in two other ways, through our, our worship and song, through communion, through giving. And I want you to remember, this is about the motives of the heart. Motives of the heart not stylistically how we worship, not anything. But I can tell you that if you use that for excuse of why I can't express myself outwardly in worship, then just like I said, can you say I would rather not be in King David's church? If King David was alive today, I just couldn't handle King David dancing around in his long johns and fearing for what came next. I'm telling you, God is one who designed the worship for him. Not a denomination, not a church, not a church uh, flavor, but
but the God of hosts, where when we reach heaven, there'll be the creature singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All kinds of actions, all kinds of things happen, all kinds of activity we see in that realm that when worship happens, it's not a matter of standing there like a piece of driftwood being swept along in the current. It's life, and life abundantly. Ken, if you'll come, and those of you that are helping with uh, communion, if you come. As I told you on a pastor appreciation uh, focus service, this isn't necessarily a message you want God to lay on your heart. But but I'm gonna I'm just gonna tell you heart to heart right now. I know for a fact in my spirit, and this isn't about me judging our church. There's people walking this church say, "Hey, man, the worship is great here compared to where we've been. We hear it all the time. Hey, man, I mean your your folks are your folks are really entering in." I can't explain why God keeps wanting me to, to stay on this, but, but I think it's because we can be giving a certain amount and all those others can say, hey, that's great compared to where I've been. But God's not comparing to where we've been. He's comparing to where he wants us to be. Amen. And if we're not giving it our all, then God's saying, you can do better than that. I created you and I've given you the strength to worship me. You can do better than that. Amen. Amen. As they are uh, distributing the elements for communion, in, uh, in our church and in the Assemblies of God, we do not believe, as some may, that the, that the juice, the fruit juice that we're serving, turns into Christ's blood as you take it. That's, that's not what we believe. We don't believe that the, the, the bread that we're taking, the cracker, actually turns into his body when you take it. We believe just as Jesus did in that last supper time, he, he didn't indicate that that turned into his body. But it was a symbol of what the sacrifice he was getting ready to pay on Calvary for our sins and for the sins of his disciples. And he just told them that they need to do this every time they remember him. And I've got to admit, we don't do communion enough here. But this morning, I want us to take a moment and just thank him for the sacrifice that he gave for us. He gave all. When we talk about what God expects us to give, we can never outgive God. He gave his very best to us for our sins. He gave the body and blood of Jesus, his son. I can't imagine the weight that was on Jesus as he knew what was coming to him. God's son who understands all things who before that had seen suffering and death, but, but to know that it was coming to him. And see, it talks about the intensity of his praying where he even sweat blood. And it tells me that this is no normal death because when he is literally carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, literally the sin of all men to come, the intensity of that death must have been unimaginable. But he wanted us to understand that it was for a purpose. This little cracker that we're about to take, and while we take it in our mouth as a symbol, but we're understanding that we are partaking because we are guilty of the broken body of Jesus. And as spilt blood, as we take the juice, it's to, to resemble that we are guilty of his spent blood. You know, there's a lot of argument going on about what such and such ancestors did to such and such. If we really want to talk about blame, where the blame falls is all of us for the death of Jesus Christ. Because once we sin, 
it's as if we were there driving the nails ourselves. It's as if we were there piercing a side. But what an awesome gift he gave to say, I do it willingly because I love you. With everything he's got, the God who created everything loves you. Annie and Waylon welcoming a new child in their home can't imagine the overwhelming love and all the kids they have in the home, all that love in the home. But yet, Annie, God looks at you thousands and thousands of folds, more than you could ever love any one of those kids. Can, can you even comprehend that kind of love? And you, Waylon, and Ken and Shelly, and all of us who are parents, to understand that we get caught up in being the parent for our kids, trying to do it and please the Lord, and he's saying, but you're a little one too. Proof of it is what I would do for you. Let's take the bread together. Before we take the cup, I want to just say that if you've not made a decision to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, before you take this cup, because this represents the blood that was shed to wash you white as snow, will you just for a moment, let's bow our heads and just if you're here, these words aren't what you have to pray but I'm going to help you with words that you, if you mean them from your heart or you have your own words uh, in, in the same way that, that you'll be saved and that he will be your Lord and Savior. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I need you to be my Savior. I can't do this on my own any longer. I never was really doing it on my own. Things are a mess and I need you, God. I love you. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus, you are Lord. In Jesus' name. And it says that if you prayed that prayer and you ask him in your heart, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and his blood has covered your sins and he no longer remembers them. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Now what happens next isn't for Pastor CJ. This is between you and God, but I've given you the word from Malachi of what it talks about, what we should offer in worship. Let's worship together.